We're going to be in 2 Kings 22 and 23. I promise I'm not going to read all of both chapters. We're actually going to look at some key verses in there as we wrap up our sermon series on faith in the midst of faithlessness. That's really hard to say. Faith in the midst of faithlessness. Thank you for only giving me one sermon in this series. Um, and so, but that's what we're going to talk about. And leading into today, we've, we've looked at a lot of stories of some kings and leaders and people who, who were living faithfully and then at somewhere along the line they, they didn't make it to the end or they, they fell off the tracks or they ended up being uh, losing their faith or not living faithfully. And it kind of makes you wonder as we walked through this book of Second Kings, maybe you had this question that sometimes I ask when I read the book of Second Kings is, can anybody do this? Like, like how can we live faithfully in the midst of a faithless generation? Well, this morning we're going to look at, at a man named King Josiah. And King Josiah's message to you and to me this morning is three simple words, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Can you live faithfully in the midst of a faithless generation? And Josiah's life, all of it in its entirety, will scream these three words this morning, yes, you can. And so I want to summarize Josiah's life for you a little bit. Chapters 22 and 23 describe a lot of Josiah. He's also found in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and some other places in Scripture. And Josiah has a unique life. And then what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at four key verses in the life of Josiah. And so Josiah was eight years old when he started being king. Let me say that again. <laughs> eight years old right? Some of you are like, I have an eight-year-old. That sounds awful, <laughs> right? I read that, and I thought, you know what? That makes sense to me. When my kids were eight, they acted like they were king, and so that makes sense, but he was eight years old when he became king, but Second Chronicles 34 says this. It says, in the eighth year, so when Josiah was 16, because eight plus eight is 16. I did that all right here. In the eighth year of his reign, while Josiah was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So Josiah was not seeking God when he was a little boy and made king, but somewhere along the line, when he was about 16, Josiah began to seek the God of his father, David. He turned his eyes towards the God of his father, David. And so when Josiah was 26, he sent some people up to the temple to bring back the money that had been stored in a certain place, and they were going to bring it back, and they were going to pay to rebuild some things among God's people. And while they were doing this, they discovered the book of the law. And when Josiah was 26, he read from the book of the law, they discovered it, and he began to set things right. Now understand, Scripture tells us that the book of the law had been lost for some time. They had, they had lost God's word, and most scholars agree, and I, I would be in this camp too, that when they refer to the book of the law, more than likely what they're reading is what we read as the book of Deuteronomy, the law of God. And Josiah reads from this book of the law, and he gets a quick history lesson on what his ancestors had done wrong and all the sin of God's people that they had committed over the years. And this leads Josiah to repentance. Josiah cries out to God. He sends someone to inquire of the Lord. He tears his clothes, he mourns, he weeps, and he repents of what God's people have done and how far they have strayed from God. Well, then Josiah leads God's people in a faithful living in the midst of a faithless generation. He changes things amidst his people. And in the midst of this faithless history, 
that Josiah has now discovered. Josiah has all the idols burned in all the land. He gets rid of all the leaders who have led them down this path. He restores the celebrations of God, specifically the Passover, which celebrates the freedom that God has granted his people. Josiah is the faithful king that we've been waiting for. Josiah is the example that reminds you and me this morning that we can be faithful no matter what the culture or the people around us look like. Josiah is the king that we've been asking. Can this be done? And Josiah says, yes, you can. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 25, this is how Josiah is described. It says, before Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like Josiah arise after him. Isn't that what we want? (laughs) I mean, that's what we want, isn't it? To be described that way? To live a faithful life in the midst of whatever is going on around us? Wouldn't you love to get to the end of your life and be described as someone who turned to God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. This is good news this morning, Journey. (laughs) This is good news in this book of history that for pages has been describing people who failed, people who were faithful almost to the end and then screwed up, people who turned from God. We find this story of a child king named Josiah who shows us this faithful living against incredible odds. Josiah is this king who is faithful in the midst of a family tree that has been faithless his whole life. He's faithful in the midst of a culture that is turning from God left and right. He's faithful to God in the midst of a people of God who've been living faithless lives. He's faithful to a God who had been so faithful to him. But how? How did Josiah do this? What, what does this look like in real life? Well, as I read through chapters 22 and 23 this week, and as I studied the story of Josiah, there were four verses that every time I read it, these four verses, it's just like flashing lights of like, this is the key to how Josiah lived this way. And I want to walk through those with you this morning. And the first key verse is found in verse 2 of chapter 22 in 2 Kings. It simply says this, that Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah walked in all the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. There's a moment in Josiah's life around age 16 that Scripture tells us when he turns his focus to God. Now, now Scripture really doesn't describe what happened or if there's something that flipped this switch for Josiah, but about the time he was 16, Josiah took his focus off of the things around him and he put his focus on the God who created him. And he began to think about what it would mean to live for the God of Israel, the God of his people. And this is a complete departure from Josiah's family. Josiah's family has been far from God his whole life. His family tree history is not real good until you go back a couple generations. And now Josiah, for some reason, decides to focus not on where he comes from earthly, but on whose he is eternally. Josiah decides to turn to the Lord. Isaiah 55 tells us to seek the Lord 
while he can be found and call upon him while he is near. And Josiah decides to focus on a faithful God in the midst of a faithless generation. I, I don't know, when, when I was a kid, they had this show, <clears throat> maybe you saw this on ABC, it used to be uh, the, wild, the Wide World of Sports. And, and they would show like these completely ridiculous sports that nobody ever watched or that you never saw. And I always remember there was a sport as a kid, it was called extreme skiing or super fast downhill skiing or something, but it was these crazy people who would get on skis and like 100 miles an hour down the hill in and out of trees. And it was like how fast you could go before you could get to the bottom of the hill. And I'll be honest, like I loved it, not because of the skiing, but because somebody along the way would crash. And that was the best part, right? And so you'd see this person just down, and they'd hit a tree, and they'd roll, and then there'd be somebody that would come on, and they would say, and that's the agony of defeat. And I would be like, this is great, well, because <laughs> I'm a horrible person. And uh, one time they interviewed this lady. Uh, her name, uh, they interviewed this lady who had done this for a long time. Her name was Kim Reichhelm, and she was one of the best in all the world, and to that point in her life had never been in a, in a really bad accident down the slopes. And so they were talking to her, and someone asked her, they said, how do you keep from crashing? Like, how do you move in and out of all these trees, and how do you never hit something, and how do you never almost die, and how do you never disappoint the creepy people at home that are waiting for you to crash? They didn't ask her that, but that's what they were saying. And I love this answer. This is what she said in this interview. She said, the reason I don't crash is because I look at the spaces between the trees. Let me say that again. She said, I look at the spaces between the trees. Instead of looking at what she didn't want to hit, she aimed her eyes at where she wanted to go. She didn't look at the danger and the things around her that could kill her. She looked at the path that could get her to freedom. She looked towards safety and success instead of all the stuff around her. There comes a point in Josiah's life where he chooses to do that. And, and let's be honest, there, there were some trees in Josiah's life. There were things in Josiah that could have and honestly should have distracted him to live a faithful life. He had the faithlessness of a culture that he lived in who didn't believe in God. He, he had the faithless history of his very own family. He had the faithlessness of God's people who were serving around him, and he had to have had the temptation in his own life to not be faithful. That's a lot of trees. And they're trees that you and I have as we try to live faithful lives for God. And we all have that natural tendency, don't we, to focus on the trees. Like, i got to just cut down all the trees that could get me off the path, all the trees that could kill me, all those things. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing to, to have accountability or to put some things in our lives that, that, that remind us that sin is here and we shouldn't be a part of it. But the reality is, like Josiah, we probably should quit focusing so much on the trees and focus on the one that we're headed towards. Faithful living in the midst of a faithless generation started for Josiah by turning his eyes to God. Well, then in verse 19 of the same chapter, it says this. It says, they tell Josiah, because your heart was penitent, Josiah, and because you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and because you have torn your clothes and you have wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. In fact, they go on to tell Josiah that God will let him die in peace, that Josiah will not see destruction during his life because he has turned to God in humility and repentance. 
I, I, there's an old Peanuts cartoon where Charlie Brown comes up to Linus and he says, Linus, maybe, maybe you could give me an answer. He said, what would you do if you felt like nobody liked you? And Linus replied, he says, well, Charlie Brown, I, I think I would try to look at myself objectively and, and I think I would try to see what I could improve. To which Charlie Brown gives my answer and Charlie Brown says, Linus, I hate that answer. <laughs> Josiah was brought into a royal court that had been unfaithful to God for 57 years. 57 years of unfaithful history. And Josiah wasn't even aware of what God's standards or commands or demands was. The, the word of God had been lost. The law had, of God had been lost Josiah's entire life. But as soon as Josiah became aware of what God expected and how far God's people had been from him, Josiah's immediate response was to tear his clothes in grief and repentance and immediately sent someone to inquire of God. And, and there are some things that Josiah would have been reading that would have been incredibly convicting. I mean, Deuteronomy 6 says that the people of God are to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. Deuteronomy 10 says, now Israel, what does God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And Josiah would have read this. He also would have read the history of his very own people and how they had done none of this and how they had walked away from God. And I think the temptation for Josiah maybe would have been to go to God and say, could you forgive them? Because God, I didn't know what we were supposed to do. And I think sometimes living in the midst of a faithless generation, sometimes I think it's hard for us to recognize that we're supposed to be repenting too. In fact, I would suggest that this seems to me to be one of the major problems of God's people throughout history. If you look at scripture, essentially most of the time, God's people looked at the pagan culture around them and they said, well, that's, well, we're not that, so we must be good. And isn't that tempting? I mean, there's always somebody that's a little less faithful than you, right? Like, like I, I have that temptation of like, well, my life's not exactly where it should be, but well, it's better than that guy, right? And, and Josiah wasn't that way. Like, Josiah had an excuse. Nobody told him how to live. Josiah grew up in a family that was super far from God. Josiah served around people who were supposed to be mentoring him who, didn't, who, who lost the word of God. The people that Josiah is serving with in the church lost the Bible, for crying out loud. And Josiah doesn't make excuses. Josiah reads the word of God with a reflecting glass of Scripture on his own heart. Not on how other people needed to change. And Josiah immediately saw that he wasn't where God wanted him to be and neither were God's people. And his first response was to say, God, I need your help. He read scripture with an attitude that God would convict him himself of what needed to change. And I wonder how often we do that. And, and once Josiah does this, here's the great news. Once Josiah and his people hear the word of God, and they go to God and they repent and they ask God to forgive them, then their whole focus switched. See, they, they were repairing a temple, a building, and now God's repairing a body. 
See, that's what happens. When, when we do that, when we go to God and say, God, I know I'm not where you want me to be, but I want to be faithful in the midst of faithlessness, God will do a rebuilding, a restoring work on our life, just like he did in Josiah and the people of Judah. Well, then if you flip over to chapter 23, <laughs> in verse 3, there's another verse. It says, Josiah the king stood by the pillar, and he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep all his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people joined him in this covenant promise. One of Josiah's first actions, one of the first things that he does once he repents and comes before God is he brings about a covenant renewal ceremony for God's people. He makes sure that he and God's people are committed to God in a covenant promise. He renews the promise that they had faithfully walked, faithlessly walked away from. <clears throat> Bible commentator Warren Wearsby reminds us that, that this isn't a new thing. This is actually a familiar event in Jewish history. Uh, and if you read through the Old Testament, when the new generation was about to enter Canaan, Moses had a renewal of a covenant that's recorded in Deuteronomy. Josiah probably would have read that. On two occasions in the Old Testament, Joshua called for a renewal of the covenant. So did Samuel. Nehemiah, after they completed rebuilding the temple of God, the temple wall at Jerusalem, had Ezra come and rededicate themselves to God. And Josiah has made this inward decision, right? Like he has been convicted by God's word. And he has come before God and he has repented and said, God, I want to be faithful in the midst of faithlessness. He's done all these things internally, but Josiah knew that in order for this to stick for him and for God's people, there needed to be an outward expression of what they had inwardly decided. A moment where they publicly together all said, yeah, we're all in and following Jesus. Did you know Jesus gives us the same thing? Jesus gives the church a covenant ceremony. A place where when you and I decide to put our faith in a faithful God, that we can publicly see our old life of faithlessness buried in a grave and raised to a new life to live faithfully for him. That's what baptism is. Baptism is a covenant ceremony where I am publicly declaring what I've privately decided. That's why Paul in Romans 6 says, don't you know that once you've been baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his death? You're buried with him in baptism. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you too will walk in newness of life. It's a public commitment to a faithful Savior. Well, there's one more verse that I want to hit on this morning. In chapter 23, towards the end in verse 24, it says, Moreover, on top of all of these things, Josiah put away all the mediums, all the necromancers, all the household gods, all the idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem. And he did this so that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Josiah, once they have recommitted to God, they've had this covenant renewal ceremony, and Josiah says, okay, now that we've said we're all in with God, we got to start living like we're all in with God. Please don't miss this this morning. The third verse and the fourth verse cannot be reversed. 
You cannot live for God until you've given your life to God. And Josiah says, now that we've made this commitment, we have to start living faithfully. And what Josiah essentially is saying is he says, that means it's God's word and God's word alone. That, that, that this is our guide and all the stuff that we've let in that have taken us away, all the stuff that came in and crowded out our lives so we essentially lost the word of God, we gotta get rid of all that stuff right now. Anything that takes us away from this goes. In James chapter one, James reminds us to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. God's word had been lost in the temple. Somebody lost the Bible in church. <laughs> but here's the, here's the part that, that's mind-blowing. Nobody seemed to care. Nobody seemed to notice. And then Josiah was made aware of it, and he said, this has to be what our guide is. It has to be our focus. You know, Josiah stood out in the Bible. Out of the 20 rulers of Judah in the biblical history, only eight of them are ever called good. So less than half. And in 2 Kings chapter 23, in verses 28 through 30, we read how Josiah's life ends. It says, now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates. King Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo as soon as he saw him. And all of Josiah's servants carried him dead in the chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. That seems kind of depressing, but I don't think it is. Josiah, the faithful king, the faithful king who became king at eight years old, the faithful king who had every, every excuse to not be faithful, dies in battle for God. Just the way it should be. Josiah was faithful in the midst of a faithless generation until the moment God took him from this earth. Was he perfect? No. Certainly not. But he faithfully, to the best of his abilities, served and surrendered to a faithful God. And my favorite part of Josiah is those last two verses. Because we've seen in Scripture that there are other people who had good descriptions about them at some point in their life. But they did not keep fighting for God until the end. And Josiah had a reason to kind of quit. I mean, God told him, he promised him that because of his faithfulness to that point, he would, he would die in peace. Josiah could have put his feet up and said, hey, I'm good, the rest of you, good luck. But Josiah served a faithful God that led him to be a faithful servant. D.A. Carson tells a story, uh, it's a made-up illustration about two Jewish men that he calls Mr. Smith and Mr. Jones. And he says these two Jewish men were alive during the time of Exodus in the Old Testament, right towards the end of the 10 plagues. And these two Jewish men are having a conversation in the land of Goshen and about a millennium and a half before Jesus comes. 
It's early in the evening, Carson says, and they're talking to each other and near the end of the 10 plagues. And Mr. Smith says to Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones, have you dabbed the blood over the two doorposts and the lintel with the blood of the lamb tonight? Have you put blood over your door so that when the angel of God comes, you, you won't die? God has told the people of Israel that he's coming to take the firstborn and that the only thing that will save them is if their house is covered by the blood of the lamb. Well, Mr. Jones replies to Mr. Smith, and he says, oh, certainly I've done that. I, I, I've heard what Moses said. The angel of death is passing through the land. Some of the plagues, they've afflicted uh, just some people. Some of the plagues have afflicted just the Egyptians, but some of them have been all over the whole land. And Moses insisted that this plague, this one is going to run throughout the entire land of Goshen where we all live, as well as the rest of Egypt. And he's told us that the firstborn of the people and the firstborn of the cattle, they're all going to be killed. He's made that clear. The only exceptions, he said, are going to be the homes that have been dabbed with the lamb's blood the way Moses told us to do it. And then he pauses and, and, he, and he says this. He says, and I'm really excited. He said, I'm just really excited about this because this means that our redemption is drawing near. He says, of course, I've slaughtered the lamb already. My friends and my family, they're already here. They're all here, and we are ready to go. I've dabbed the blood of the lamb on the two doorposts and on the lintel. I'm excited because our redemption is near. How about you, Mr. Smith? And as the band comes up this morning, Mr. Smith replied, well, well of course I've done it. I've done the same thing. But can I be honest, Mr. Jones? Boy, am I worried. He says, have you seen the things that have gone on around here the last few months? Frogs, lice, hail, death, and now Moses is talking about every firstborn. Look, I've only got one son. I've only got one. I, I love my Charlie, and I don't want to lose him. I'm scared to death. There's not going to be any sleep for me tonight. And rather surprised, Mr. Jones says, what are you worried about? God himself has promised that his, through his servant Moses that if you put the blood of the lamb on the two doorposts and on the lintel that you're saved, your child will be saved, Charlie will be here tomorrow morning, you've already put the blood on the doorpost, what are you so worried about? And Mr. Smith replied, he says, well, you've got the last part right. I, I've certainly done what God told me to do because I trust him. But I'll be honest, I'm still scared just the same. And that night, Carson says, the angel of death passed through the land, and he asked this question, who loses his son, Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones? Well, the answer, of course, is neither. Neither. Because the promise was not based on the intensity of the faith of either man. The promise was based on the, the promise of a faithful God. The promise was not dependent on the amount of faith they had. It was dependent on whether or not they were covered in the blood of the Lamb. Can I tell you that story as we close this morning to tell you this? I think it's easy to look at Josiah. And maybe some of you, you're here this morning and you, you think about living faithfully in the midst of a faithless generation and that excites you. And you can't wait to see how God can use you. And this has reminded you of the faithfulness of God and how you can be Josiah too. And those three words, yes, you can, is just what you needed to hear to make you push over the edge and, and you are fired up. But then there's some of you this morning that we read about King Josiah and you think, yeah, that's great, but that is not me. 
Like the idea of living faithfully in the midst of a faithless generation scares me to death. The idea that, that I could change my life, I, I just don't think that's possible. I don't see how God could use someone with as little faith as me. I mean, I believe that God can do anything and I trust him, but I just don't know how I can do this. Faithful living in the midst of a faithless generation does not depend on your or my ability. It does not depend on how good we are at being faithful. It depends on the one who we are willing to put our faith in. And so this morning, as we sing, if you're here and, and you've surrendered and you've made that promise to Jesus that you'll live with him, would you join me in just renewing that promise and being reminded of the faithful God that we serve and asking him to help us be faithful to the end. If you're here this morning and you've never made that promise to God, you've never come before a faithful God and said, bury my old life and raise it anew so I can live faithfully for you, how about today? How about now? How about you come and just say, I wanna do this right now because God's leading me to give my life to him, to live faithfully. How about you come find Dave or me or one of the elders and say, I wanna talk about what that means to follow Jesus in the midst of a faithless generation. You do not have to have all the answers. You do not have to have it all figured out. You have to be willing to give your life to the one who does. We invite you to do that as we worship him this morning. Let's stand, let's sing.